0: Hello, church. It's good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Eddie. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles, or open your Bible app to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 together. And the thing I want us to be thinking about as we do this, as you turn, is that our identity has implications for our behavior, right? Our identity, who we are, what we believe about who we are, is going to have implications for how we live, how we see life. And so we want to be considering those things as we read. So let's read it together. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing thing to realize and to think about that we are united with your son, that we are not just uh, friends, that we're not just um, partners, that we're not just individuals who follow Christ, although all of those things are true, but, but you say that we are united with him, that we are found in him, that we are hidden behind him. And Father, we, we pray right now that as we consider what that means about who we are as people, as individuals who follow and serve you, that you would help us to have a perspective that informs our circumstances, that strengthens us in our fight against sin, and that gives us the ability to see with joy, the glory set before us, even in the most difficult of circumstances. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. So I was a weird kid, and I wanted to do a lot of cool things. And, and I had read a book called Matilda, and I don't know if you're familiar with the book, but she tries to, she can move things with her mind. She figures that out. And so, of course, being the weird kid of that, I, wasn't, I was like, well, this is a fiction book. I'm going to go ahead and try that. And clearly, that might be true of me. And so, I remember, you know, setting a, a, a pencil and, and staring at it and trying to will it to move. You know, maybe, maybe I am someone special. Maybe I have special abilities that allow me to move things with my mind, even just a little bit. And, and I remember... You know, you'd have these moments where you think, "Oh, did it move? Did it move?" As it turns out, I don't have those abilities, and uh, yeah, Matilda was not real. But I I was excited about the possibility of a different, more exciting identity, and because of the the possibility of that identity, I did some strange things. And if you were to read the book, you see that Matilda does some things because of who she is, her abilities, this new identity that she finds. Now, here in chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul is talking to a bunch of individuals who need to be reminded of their identity. The Colossians had been infiltrated by, we're not exactly sure, but some sort of group that was saying some things about angels and how there were some special things you can do to get closer to God that was distinct and different and, and against the gospel. And so he's going to, to bring a, a correction and one of the primary things he does is to remind them of their identity. Now, if you're in this room, my guess is that many of you have heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus lived this perfect life that we should have lived. He died the death that, that we deserve to die. And he rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death on behalf of everyone who would express faith in Christ. We know this. If you don't, that's cool. Now you know this. But, but what's interesting is that Paul constantly reminds the people that he writes to, of things that that might sound boring or foundational or fundamental because he recognizes that they need to be reminded. And so in this moment, although this content is probably somewhat familiar to you, take a step back and hear it with fresh ears as someone who needs to be reminded. So as I said, he's reminding us of our identity, who we are. In the first part of the first verse, he refers to the believers as having been raised with Christ. So you and I are here in the 21st century, two millennia after the life and death of Christ, and yet if you've trusted in Jesus' work to redeem your life, Paul says that you as well have been resurrected with Christ. There's some part of this resurrection reality that we get to experience now. Now, as Christians, we have this tension that we live in. Theologians call it, because they're really smart and they come up with amazing things, the already and not yet. That was a bad joke. I understand. That's okay. The point is, they said, well, there's parts of the kingdom that are already here, and there are parts of the kingdom that are not yet here, right? Jesus has come. He, he lived this perfect life. He has inaugurated or introduced the kingdom of God. And yet, we're still here waiting for it to come to its fulfillment. You and I, we take part in Christ's resurrection, here and now, though maybe not fully. When we pray for mercy, we pray as individuals who are part of the kingdom of God, who know that Christ has given us mercy. We've been talking about praying for health and healing and there's been tons of testimonies of healing and the reason that we believe that God moves is not just because God is powerful and yes, he's powerful and he's able to save and heal in every generation but we believe that there was something distinct that happened in Christ that has been accomplished and there's a taste of it here and now. Now maybe you're in the not yet portion and we're still praying and believing but there is a tension that we're experiencing here. And so he says... You have been raised. Now, there's a a raising that's going to happen, but there's a a taste that we get to have here and now. You have been raised. This is who we are. This is our identity. Individuals who live in the kingdom here and now having been raised. Perhaps we don't taste the fullness of that, but, but Paul is beckoning us and saying, go for it. Ask for it. Pray for it. Christ has inaugurated the kingdom. We take part in Christ's resurrection here and now. This is also why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this is probably a, uh, a verse you might be familiar with, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in, crea- in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, anyone who has children, or if you're married, or you live in any sort of close relationship, can attest to the fact that Yes, they may be new creations, but also there's some old creation there, right? There's some sin nature there. And so we live in this tension, but Paul continues to remind us, you have been raised with Christ, right? He says he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That is our reality. We're united with Christ in his resurrection. And if we're united in his resurrection, we must also be united in his death. No amends to that. (laughs) That's okay. In verse 3, he says it this way. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says that you and I have died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. When we are united by faith in God, we give up our claim to autonomy and to identity apart from Christ. We give up our Autonomy and our identity apart from Christ. That's something that, that I think that we struggle with as as Americans because we're this country is built on individualism. You know, we are I am my own person, and one person can make a huge change. And these are things that are absolutely true. But there's something about the, the, the New Testament that really speaks to the fact that, that when believers come to understand who they are in Christ, they understand that they are not their own. And that has a vertical vertical dimension. You know, Christ all of a sudden is is the one we're representing, the one uh, we're, we're testifying to, the one whom we're uh, trying to glorify in our life, and it has a horizontal dimension, right? No longer is it me and my church and my choices and my money and what I'm doing. It's us, we, your sins, my sins, your virtues, my virtues, just mixed up, all messed up. And, and we have the, the privilege of working this out, right? Pastor Duke had mentioned, he said it this way one time, ho- holiness in, in, a, in an individual um, expression is purity. But holiness in a corporate expression is, is unity. Yeah, that, tell Pastor Duke that wasn't me. <laughs> it, it's, it's a poignant point. It's, it's a good point, and when you come to Christ, you die. It's no longer the Eddie show. It really never was the Eddie show, but I sure thought it was for a long time. Sometimes I like to think it is. It's no longer the so and so show. Or the, we are brought together and there's something about the holiness of God that is expressed in a, a, a community of people who have died and who are hidden in Christ. So we're united in, uh, in death. You know, when I was in college, I lived with a bunch of guys. I, I lived with actually a number of different guys at different times. Um, they were all relatively moral good guys. This is not one of those stories. But we were guys. And so my life consisted of living in a dirty house, in a dirty room, with like uh, an alarm clock that my mom gave me when I was like 12 but It was very effective. It, it was super loud. it was from korea she 's Korean, and that, i don 't know that that matters, except that it was just spoken Korean really loud. It wasn 't just like ding 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 it was like no nah, nah, It said a bunch of stuff that i don 't understand because my mom never told me. Um, and I had that because I was a grown man. I had you know the laundry pile that didn 't get done until. I just was tired of wearing smelly clothes, and I don't remember, I literally don't remember ever cleaning a bath- bathroom. Like, it may have happened, but I don't remember it. I had one roommate, poor guy, he was not okay with that, so I think he cleaned it up quite a bit, so I kind of missed out. But, but my life as a bachelor was, it's a bachelor life, and if you're, if you're a, a man, you probably can relate. Um, then I got married. Uh, and things changed, right? <laughs> things changed. Now it wasn't overnight, but but you know my mess became our mess, and and it was no longer okay for me to have a mess. And and and, and this is nothing on oh, my wife. It was just the reality that hey, there's another person who literally lives in the same room as you. Don't be a jerk, right? And. And my, my bathroom became our bathroom, and, and all these things changed, and I realized it was not just me who lived. I didn't live anymore. We lived. You know, my wife Mary and I, we lived a life together, right? When you and I put our trust in Christ, we gain an identity by losing our own life. We die to who we were in order to live for who Christ is. This is, why, this is why Christianity has to be way more than just a behavior modification program. You know, this isn't just, what we're doing here is not an effort for you to be good moral people, right? There has to be something in the core of who you are that changes by the power of God, right? You no longer live, Christ lives in you. It's life transformation. This is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For Paul, he he no longer lived. And there are places in 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 Acts and other places where he's saying, you know what, I'm probably going to die, guys. And everyone's like, no, don't do it. And he's like, well, you know, it's better for me to go do this. and And it's not... It doesn't matter to me so long as I do what I'm called to do. Paul understood the weight of the call, that he was done. His agenda, his, his prominence, his life plan, his five-year plan, his ten-year plan, that's, it was done. It was God's plan, whether it meant living a life of, of ministry or dying a horrible death, right? We give up our autonomy when we come to Christ. We have died and our life is hidden. Now Paul makes an interesting connection here. See, for Paul there's a tight link between who you are and how you live. I'm going to say it again. For Paul and it should be for us there's a tight link between who you are, what you believe, the things you espouse to be true, your values and and what you do, how you live. Now, we live in a time, in a culture where what we believe is, is considered to be fluid. Our, our, and what, what's, what my beliefs are don't necessarily have any bearing on what you know, your beliefs are. And because of that, we have weird behaviors coming up out of strange beliefs, but, but there's a disconnect. But Paul would say, and I think God would say, no, who you are and what you understand about who you are has Direct implications about how you live. And in verse one, he says it this way. If you've been raised or since you've been raised with Christ, then do this. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And if you read the Bible, just listen out for this. God will be constantly saying, I've done this, therefore do that. God cares so much about our motivations, He doesn't just say, live this way, be moral people, stop sinning, don't do these things. He says, I've done this for you, therefore do this. I sent my son, go do this. Even in Exodus, you know, the Ten Commandments, the the epitome of moralism, you know, these ten do these things. It starts out with, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I've done this. This is your motivation. I'm your God. I'm your Savior, therefore live this way. And so he says here, if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you have put your faith in the God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross on your behalf, saving you from sin and hell, if that is true of you, if you recognize and believe what Christ has done, then therefore live this way. And he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now it's interesting, he could have just said, you know, seek the things above, Do Christ-like activities. Be moral. And in fact, if you keep going in in verses 5 and following, he talks about the things we're not supposed to do and the things we are supposed to do. But he specifically, he he hones in on this and he says, seek the things that are above. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Why, Why do you think he does that? You know, he talked about Christ being raised from the dead, and perhaps that's part of it. But I think there's another part. Paul is showing us that when we're united with Christ, not only do our behaviors change, our perspective changes. He puts it more explicitly in Ephesians 2:6 when he says that we were raised I'm sorry, when he says that, that we were raised up, or God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he says that in past tense. God raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, we're all sitting down here. No one in this room is in heaven in a very literal sense of the word. Um, But there's something about this already, not yet, kingdom come reality that we are in the throne room, that we are at the right hand of the Father, that God sees Christ and sees us in Christ. I mean, just stop for a moment there. Like, n- holy cow, if you can say that. I don't know. Pastor Brett's not here, huh? You should never do that. I should never do that anyways. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's shocking. He says that we are seated. We have been seated with Christ. And so it isn't just a, hey guys, since Christ did this, do this. He says, since Christ did this, he's up here, seek and look at things, consider things. In fact, the word he says, uh, set your minds, it means concentrate, it means focus on, it means think about things from this perspective. If you made it to church, my guess is that one or two times, you may have, may have had a perspective that wasn't heavenly, Right? Maybe it was a perspective about a family member or a, a, a work partner or the driver in front of you on 28. But, but God is calling us not just to act a particular way but to think a particular way and to see the world a particular way. When we're united with Christ, not only do our behaviors change, our, per- our perspective changes. Not only is Christ at the right hand of God, by our union with Christ, we are at the right hand of God. I think that's a helpful thing. So often, you ever feel this way? You don't have to raise your hand or say yes or anything. But do you ever feel like, yeah, I know Jesus died for my sins, but man, my life is hard. And you just feel disconnected from God. And and I'm not saying that all of a sudden you, you we, something has changed, But the reality is, th- and this is real. This is not like Paul saying figuratively, you know, I like to imagine this to be the case. No, he's saying there's a reality that we don't necessarily see in which you and I are seated with Christ. In which you and I can see things from Christ's perspective. You know, my kids have these uh, Puzzle Buzz magazines highlights i don 't know if you 've ever i 'm sure many of you have seen them in like dentist 's office or something um, and they 've got all these puzzles, and they 're fun and I like to do them because I can do them because i'm thirty five <laughs> the mazes are so easy <laughs> most of the time um, and and one of the things they have is this these uh i don 't know what they 're called, so i 'm going to call them the zoom in pictures it 's not I'm not a marketer, and that's why I don't work for them. Uh, but there are these pictures in, the, in, the, in circles of just gobbledygook. You don't really know. You just kind of, it looks like craziness, or it looks like, I don't know, a thumbnail or something. But they're actually, they're zoomed in pictures of everyday objects, right? And so the, the goal of the puzzle, the, the effort of the puzzle is to figure out what you're looking at. Oh, it's a bug. You know, it's a booger. It's a crack on the ground, whatever. Um and you're trying to figure out what you're looking at and the way you do that is you kind of step back in terms of perspective. Now life doesn't it feel like that sometimes? You're looking around and you're like, well I just lost my job. Um I have no friends because they're all fair-weather friends and my family has abandoned me and life is right here and all it looks like is a big crack in the ground. Right? And from here, there's a reality to that. When, you know, when I look at those pictures, I can describe what I see and it's accurate. But That doesn't mean it's the whole reality. But when we step back and we realize, you know, God has a plan in this, then all of a sudden, my circumstances make sense. Or maybe they don't make sense, but, but there's, a, there's a peace that comes knowing that there's someone who, who has a, a view of things that does make sense. When you think about our circumstances, health, financial, family issues, maybe sin problems, it can, be, it can be hard to figure these things out. It can be hard to discern, God, what are you doing in this? I mean, how many times have you had someone, you know, just pray about it. God will give you wisdom. And you're like, I prayed. I got no wisdom. So I don't know what you said, but my prayers are broken. But, but there's something about pressing in and believing by faith that God has a perspective for us to see, that, that it both gives us peace because we, we know, because of what God says, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? We, we recognize that. And even though we maybe sometimes we can't even get far enough away to see the whole perspective, we know the one who can. We know the one who does. And we're at the right hand of him, which is, again, crazy, Paul is saying that there's a perspective here that you and I need to have. It's a a faith perspective. It's a perspective of our sin and our circumstances that is informed by what Christ has done and who he is on our behalf. Church, your temptation this week is gonna be to see things with just your physical eyes. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with seeing things as they are. But if you leave it there, you will miss out on the perspective that God has for you. You'll miss out on the wisdom that God has for you. You'll miss out on the lesson that God has for you. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm trying to figure out my life just as much as you are. If you died and are alive in Christ, the sin that tries to conquer has been defeated. The circumstance that's difficult must accomplish what God intends for you. So tonight, what... What circumstance needs to be looked at with a new perspective? If, if I said circumstance and four or five different things popped up, those are the things that the Holy Spirit's saying, look at these with new eyes. What sin problem, sin issue needs to be addressed from a different gospel perspective? I'm not saying it's easy, but, but maybe you need to step back and, and look at things differently. Maybe the anger issue is a trust issue with God. Maybe the, you know, the addiction issue is, is, a, is a need to really trust in God's ability to provide for you. I don't know what it is. I'm not, but, but God has a, a perspective that's going to enable you to fight sin with a greater level of victory. He doesn't just want you to be confused. He doesn't just want you to be lost. He doesn't just want you to see things like this and be, be upset. He wants to give you a perspective from heaven. When we realize that we've been united with Christ, can see things from that perspective as he sees them, we're able to see with a heavenly perspective. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for every individual in this room. And Lord, you know that, that there are circumstances that are pressing down on people there are health issues, there are financial issues, there are relationship issues that are weighing people down. There are sin issues in this room that are weighing people down. And you promise in James that if we pray and ask for wisdom, you'll give it to us. That, that you call us and you say, come on and ask and I'll give it to you. And so right now I pray that you would give people wisdom, heavenly perspective about what's going on in their lives. I pray that we would be freshly reminded and encouraged and built up by the fact that we not only stand here in the midst of our difficult circumstances, but we, by some way, spiritually are represented in your presence in heaven by Christ, that we are there as much as he is there, that that we're not far from you because Christ is our mediator, that we're not far from you because we are hidden with Christ in God. So, Father God, I pray that you would impress that upon us, that we would be encouraged about who we are, freshly reminded about what Christ has accomplished and who we are because of that. And out of that, Lord, I pray that it would flow new behaviors and, and more importantly, new perspectives that would allow us to navigate the way forward. We love you. We don't deserve you. We thank you for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.